Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm awfully uh, excited about this hour, starting off with uh, my friend David Wheaton's going to be joining me. And I can hardly wait because every time I get a chance to talk to him, I always learn a lot. And I'm always encouraged and, and inspired. And I bet you are too, because I, I hear from you and I get text messages saying, well, that David Wheaton sure is good. I go, yeah, he is. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, it says, for the time will come when people will not put up a sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I think that there's oftentimes people want to hear the kinds of teaching that will allow them to sort of live the exact lifestyle they want because they want God to cooperate with their plans and their agenda which is not really the gospel, not the gospel at all. So there's been a lot of teachers, false teachers, that are peddling things that just are not true, yet they are very attractive, and people are drawn to them. And we're going to talk about that with David. So that's what the plan is in the first half hour. And then Randy Newman's going to be joining me. He's written a new book on evangelism. And if you've ever heard Randy before, uh, stay tuned for sure. He is an absolute delight. And I find him uh, engaging and smart, and his new book on evangelism we're going to be talking about uh, in the second half hour of this hour. So let me take 60 seconds and then bring David Wheaton on. Traveling outside the Faith Radio listening area doesn't mean you have to miss your favorite show. In fact, you can listen to Faith Radio live anytime or access past programs by downloading the free Faith Radio app. Just search iTunes or Google Play for Faith Radio and download the free app to any connected device. Enjoy a crystal clear, static-free signal through the free Faith Radio app today. Each day, together, growing in our faith. There are things that have happened to me that I've thought, why have you let this happen to me? But I've also learned that I should never be afraid to commit an unknown future to a known God. So we just say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. A source of truth. Faith Radio. last couple of weeks, I had David Wheaton on the show. We were talking about what is the gospel. And if you missed any of those interviews, you should go back to MyFaithRadio.com and do a search of that because it's almost like a short little mini course that will equip you and give you great uh, confidence that the gospel uh, is what it says it is. And so I thought today it'd be kind of interesting to talk about what the gospel is not because there are a lot of people competing uh, for your attention and what your itching ears might be wanting to hear. 
and they know how to be manipulative, and they know how to say what you want to hear. And that's not the gospel at all. David, welcome to the show. Hey, good afternoon, Bill. So a lot of false prophets, there always has been and probably always will be. Um, So I would love to uh, talk about maybe what some of the prominent false gospels are today. Yeah, well, the gospel message, the the good news that we can be right with God through uh, what God did by sending his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sin, and that by repenting of our sin and putting our faith in Jesus' work, adding none of our own works to what we put our faith in, that God promises to forgive us uh, and make us right with him and, and give us eternal life in heaven someday. That little message I just said is the most important message in the entire universe. I mean, if you think about it, what more important news is there that the God who created you has provided a way for you to be right with him because you're not right with him if you're unrepentantly continuing in your sins? I mean, where you spend eternity, there's no more important issue than that. If the Bible is accurate in what it says about heaven being this incredible place with God for eternity, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. And if the Bible is correct in what it says about hell, it's an eternal place of torment separated from God. That is the most important issue in all of the universe, more important than what happened in the political world today or anything going on in your family or anything else. That is the most important issue. So with that revelation from God about the gospel, anything that important, people are always going to try to monetize that, Mm -hmm. to twist that. People who don't like it will try to twist it. Um, And so I think what the Bible says in in Jude is we need to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. There's no more important thing for the Christian to defend and to proclaim than the gospel. So we need to proclaim the true gospel, but we also, as we see in so many passages in in the New Testament, we're always being warned about false teachers, like the passage you read about false doctrines, about false gospels. Look in Galatians, and Paul was very strong, like, you know, anyone who preaches another gospel, let them be accursed. It's like anathema. I mean, that's like an abomination. That's like the word damned. I mean, this is incredibly strong language because really false gospels is really what Satan is all about. If you think about it, it his whole objective, as it says in John 10, is that to, to kill and destroy and to make sure people don't get right with God. And so he is very, very okay going along with any message that may include or seem to be religious or even talk about Jesus, as long as it's not the true gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, because ultimately, if you're believing in a false gospel, whether it's a false gospel of, of a Christian variety or if it's from a false gospel of a spiritual uh, you know, spiritual variety or of a different religion, Satan's fine with that as long as you're not trusting in the true gospel. So the gospel is constantly being, is constantly under attack. And so that's why as Christians, we need to know what and be able to articulate what the true gospel is. You can read 1 Corinthians 15, the first eight verses right there, tell you what the first, the gospel is, is what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's about Jesus Christ and his work. And then we also need to know what are some of the prominent false gospels. And now to get to the answer to your question, the one I think we sh- we're going to talk about today is the, the, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. And that gospel is this, that basically the, the point of the Christian life or the point of becoming saved, so to speak, is that God's going to make you healthy, he's going to make you wealthy, and he's going to prosper and bless you. If you just have the faith to believe it, 
and especially if you kind of sow what they call sow the seeds of giving money to this to a ministry. And we see them televangelists all the time on television, uh, you know, hawking their wares and blessing and promising bless their blessing. Uh, you know, your best life now. Um, you're gonna have you're gonna be prosperous. And if you speak the words and you believe it, it turns the word of faith movement. And so I, I know there's probably some people listening who who are familiar with this and maybe have been influenced by it. I don't mean to offend anyone by by talking about it, but all, all of which to say that when you compare that message that God will make you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous if you just have faith and give money, that's nowhere taught in Scripture. That's not the gospel. That's a false gospel. You know, it, the Bible says all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Christ said, if you if they hated me, they're also going to hate my followers. We're not promised health, wealth, and prosperity. God does bless us on occasion, absolutely. That's not guaranteed for the follower of Christ. It's interesting, David, because the, a lot of the prosperity teachers are obviously on TV, and TV is a very mm-hmm. expensive place to operate. Mm-hmm. So they have to create an emotional response to the viewers, which will motivate them to want to give. So in other words, they have to be selling them something that they seem or deem valuable to make them open up their their checkbook. Right. And and it really is a very well-crafted show is what it is. Um, uh, Recently on our own radio program, I interviewed Costi Hinn. That last name might be familiar to some in your audience, as in his uncle is Benny Hinn, who is probably the, maybe the most well-known prosperity preacher in the world. And Costi grew up in, in that environment because his, his own father was in the prosperity movement as well. So his father and his uncle, Benny. And of course, Benny is worldwide fame. He's a multi, 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 multi-millionaire. You can read about it in Costi's book about flying in private jets over the world and $20,000 a night hotels and the luxuriant lifestyles and the Ferraris and the Mercedes-Benzes. And, and, and just, but I think forgetting all that for a second, just what Costi saw at these, quote, ministry events, you know, these these healings they purportedly do, he said, were staged, you know, the miracles were, were fake. It's a huge manipulation and, and really exploitation of people who are really desperate for healing. And some people are desperate for money and they, they, they buy into this because we all, I mean, Bill, who doesn't want to be blessed in life? Who doesn't want to be healthy and wealthy? I mean, if, of course, that, that speaks to a, I think, a pretty common human desire. And so these prosperity preachers have figured out a way, uh, a methodology, if you will, uh, to put on this show. They start out usually with very kind of this really emotional music to get people into a kind of emotional state. So they're much more receptive to what's going to come next. You know, they're very charismatic type speakers. And then they try to do these signs, so-called signs and wonders to, to validate what they're doing. And by the way, they get that right from Christ. I mean, that's why he did signs and wonders, real signs and wonders, heal people on the spot uh, because it validated who he was. And so they try to do the same things with these staged healings and miracles. And they, they claim direct revelation from God. God told me this for you today. I'm speaking to you through the television. I mean, they'll, they'll do anything like that. Mm-hmm. And then eventually it all gets to... Uh, at certain times throughout this show, it gets to the big ask for money. And people are willing to to give money in order to get blessings. And uh, again, it's, it's, it's a false gospel. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's one gospel, and the gospel that they would be preaching wealth, health, and prosperity 
would also be the same gospel that you would preach to the family living on a trash pile in India. That's right. The gospel, the gospel the, the is the re- gospel. The, the real gospel, the real is, gospel. The most, yeah, is, is the most equitable of all revelations or of, of all offers. Well, it's, the gospel is an offer from God. He's right. saying, I will forgive you if you repent of your sin, acknowledge, confess your sin, and you trust in what Jesus, my son, did for you on the cross. He paid the penalty you deserve to pay. You know, the core of the gospel like in 1 Corinthians 15, is Christ died for our sins. The core of the gospel is substitution. In other words, it's like we committed the crime, but all of a sudden in the courtroom we're standing before the judge, and there comes Jesus walking in and says, you know what, I'll pay the penalty for him. And, And the judge says, okay, you've lived a perfect life. If you pay the penalty for him, then my justice is satisfied, my wrath over your sin is satisfied, and I can count you, credit you with being forgiven and the, and the penalty paid because of what Jesus did for you. That is the, that is the core of the gospel is, is substitution. Right. And so that message is, is nowhere mentioned in the prosperity gospel movement. It's, it's always positivity. There's, there's usually very, very little about, about sin or, or God's judgment. It's always about health, wealth, and prosperity and what God's going to do for you. It's really us manipulating or us using God to get things that we want, yeah. not the gospel. Right. David Wheaton is my guest. We're going to take a very short break and then continue this topic with David in just a minute. So my guest, of course, is David Wheaton. Go to thechristianworldview.org to see David's website and learn more about him and his work. We're talking about the uh, false teachers today with David, and right now we're focusing still on some of the uh, prosperity gospel teachers. A lot of people are very attracted to that, and maybe they're attracted for obvious reasons. Yeah, they are. I mean, again, who doesn't want to be blessed? Right, right. (laughs) It's it's just, I mean, I I want to be blessed for sure, but that's not what you sign up for, so to speak, when you become a Christian. Mm -hmm. Uh, You, 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 when you become a Christian and you're going to, you're going to follow Christ, when you make that decision in your life, you're saying no to my past. You're saying no to my past, my sin. I want to separate from that. I want to pursue holiness. I want to pursue an intimate relationship with Christ. The world, typically, the unbelieving world, hates Christ and his followers, and so you're signing up for what that may potentially happen to you is what happened to 11 of the 12 apostles. They were all martyred. not saying that will happen to you, uh, but again, uh, Christ repeatedly says in the New Testament that, you know, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If you're going to, you're going to be persecuted, you know, don't be shocked. It was not about if you follow me, you're going to be, you're going to be blessed. Yeah, the spiritual blessings are incredible. The peace and contentment of of knowing you're in a right relationship with the God of the universe, you're forgiven, what is to come for you, that you can overcome sin and temptation, uh, that you that you have a message that can help other people be saved. That that is the spiritual blessing right there. But nowhere do, is there a promise of that you're going to be healthy. Obviously, that's not even true. We all die, mm-hmm. right? You're not going to be. Most people are not going to be wealthy. So right there, that that's that's not true either. Most of us are not going to be, you know, fabulously wealthy. 
And um, most of us are not going to have constant blessings in our life. It's just not true. I mean, it's just not true in the face of it. So promising this, like you, this is a be blessed Christianity, is just is not the reality uh, either now or in the, in the past for Christians. But I think actually, you know, as as evangelicals, sometimes we can sit back and kind of watch the craziness we sometimes see on television and. You know, we can watch the, you know, kind of scoff at these ministries. They get investigated by the law and, you know, then there's there's bad financial dealings and, you know, all, all this stuff goes on. It's not, you can look online and find out for for yourself. I won't go into all the examples of it that have been found over the years, you know, just crazy stuff happens in this world of the prosperity movement. So I think evangelicals, Bill, can sit back and say, well, we're not part of that craziness, you know, thankfully. Uh, but I also think there's a a different kind of prosperity gospel. I think you could call it a prosperity gospel light. Ooh, what's that? That that, that takes place in, I'm going to say most evangelical churches today. And this is where where the pastor's not saying, hey, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, you know, if you follow Christ. It's where the pastor only preaches on the, the positive attributes of God. Uh, you know, how, how Jesus is going to help your life. He's going to help solve your problem problems. There's very rarely uh, mentions of, let's say, sin and the consequences of sin. There's very rarely preaching on the, the need to repent, either before you're saved or after you're saved. There's very little time spent on the call to be separate from, like, sinful worldliness, uh, very little emphasis on the holiness and, and judgment of God or, or the cost of following Christ. In, in other words, we're only preaching and talking and discussing kind of the good sides of being a Christian, the the the, the favorable, the feel good sides of God, His His love, His mercy, His compassion, His patience, and He is all of those things and more, absolutely. But that's not the full God that is portrayed in that He portrays about Himself in Scripture. God is also a holy God. He is also a just God. He's also a just judge. He is angry over sin. He will be wrathful to those who who continue unrepentantly in sin and reject his offer of salvation. And so when that positive, kind of this positivism message of Christianity is preached in the evangelical church and not giving a full and accurate uh, portrayal of who God is, both sides of this same coin of the same God, I think that's the prosperity gospel light, that Christianity is going to be good for you, it's going to be improve your life, add Jesus onto your life, and not mentioning the the other parts, so-called the more the harder truths of Scripture, I think is really not the true gospel as well. Uh, I completely agree, David. And uh, if you don't talk about sin, uh, you can never well, really. What, what are you being saved from? Exactly. Well, well, the the idea of we always say as Christians we're saved. Well, well, you're saved. That that just implies that you need to be rescued. Like you're in danger. You're in trouble. Well, answer the question: What are we in danger from? What are we in trouble over? You know what we're in danger from? We're in danger from being judged by God. It's it's kind of ironic if you look at this. So we need to be saved by God, and he does that through Christ, from God, actually. We're saved from God for God's glory. And so I think it's a helpful way of remembering it that God saves us from himself. Because if if we persist in unrepentant sin and reject his offer of reconciliation that he offers through sending Jesus— we're going to face God in judgment someday. And so leaving that out, uh, not understanding this full accurate picture of God that is 
this prosperity gospel light message that we often hear of keep it positive. People are beat up for six days a week. Keep it positive on Sunday. You're not given the true gospel. I agree, David. So let's um, talk about the the people that maybe would be drawn to some of the prosperity gospels, maybe some of the vulnerable people that are in need of a healing or a miracle or something, and they're feeling a little desperate. So they they go to a, a ministry like this thinking that they're going to get fixed. Yeah. I think that that's the, that's the terrible thing. It's promising something that God never promises and that probably won't be delivered. Uh, so you're, you're really giving people false hope. I mean, think of someone who's, who's got a really terrible illness. Um, one comes to mind, Justin Peters. He's a well-known uh, person in ministry now, and he has, I think he has um, some sort of, uh, not, not injury, but he was born with a medical condition. He limps all the time. He, it may have been polio. I can't remember what exactly it was, but he was very involved in this prosperity movement, and he was attracted to it because this man wanted to walk. I mean, who doesn't? Yeah. He wanted to walk. He wanted to be mobile. And he went to it, but finally he realized in time that God opened his eyes and realized that this, this isn't consistent with Scripture, and God may not heal me, but God gives me a peace, a contentment inside my heart that I know that I'm made specifically uh, the way I am, and I can be right with God and at peace with God and have peace within myself by being in a right relationship with God. And he understood this movement. And, but he was very susceptible to it because he had a terrible physical condition or someone who, let's say, is really hurting for money. Uh, you know, really, boy, there, there's a message out there that I can, I can actually make more money and be prosperous and get promotions at work and move up the ladder and so forth. Or people who just want to be wealthy and rich in life. I mean, that's, that's a common desire. So there's lots of people out there that will definitely uh, be attracted to a message that God wants you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, and blessed. Mm-hmm. And just uh, about a minute left, David. Do we uh, do we know how long this prosperity gospel has been around? <laughs> well, it, it's been around really since you know you look in in Scripture and it says. I, I mean, I'm trying to think where the the the, the passage is from. I think it's from Second uh, Peter two. It says false prophets also arose among the people. This is Peter writing. Just as there will be false teachers among you. So he's saying it's it's happened already and it's going to happen in the future, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. And then it goes on to the, uh, many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the truth will be maligned. And listen to this, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. And then it goes on to say, their judgment from long ago is not idle. In other words, there's always going to be people, going back to what we said at the very beginning, who are going to try to twist and uh, change the gospel for profitable ends for themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a very attractive gospel. You know, who doesn't want to hear that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous? Uh, so true. If you just have some faith and you just sow the seed of some money. People will buy into that, and they do buy into it, sadly. David, thank you so much for doing the show. Now go outside and enjoy the day. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> David Wheaton's been my guest. Go to thechristianworldview.org to learn more about David and his brilliant writing and speaking. We'll take a short break, and then uh, we're going to talk to Randy Newman next. Looking forward to that.
And a big thanks to David Wheaton for coming on to the show. It's always great to talk to David. And like most of us, we have someone or maybe more than one person that we hope comes to faith in Christ that we really have on our hearts. Um, And maybe there's others in our circle of influence that we would love to share Jesus with, but we're just fearful. Um, And maybe our fears range from, what if I just freeze up? Um, to what if I just don't feel like I'm smart enough or I'm informed enough? And my guest, uh, Randy Newman, has written a book called Unlikely Converts, Improbable Stories of Faith and What They Can Teach Us About Evangelism. He's the author of the best-selling Questioning Evangelism, and he's served in campus ministry for many decades, and he teaches at several evangelical seminaries and ministers in a whole bunch of churches, and he currently serves as a senior teaching fellow with the C.S. Lewis Institute, and he's one of my very favorite guests. Randy, welcome back. Uh, it's great to be with you. Thanks so much. Yeah. Um, way to go on the book. I've, I've I worked through it a little bit. I didn't get to read all of it, but I, everything I, you, you write, I love. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's encouraging. Thanks. You're just a great communicator. Oh, see, now you've put the pressure on. I've got to now construct brilliant sentences on the spot. This could be trouble. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best, but I'm feeling a little tongue-tied, just intimidated by that. I know, but that's a lot of people's problem, is they start to uh, want to share Christ, yet they feel like, am I smart enough? Um, am I, are my arguments going to be good enough? What if they give me something back that I'm not going to be able to return the volley? And they go, maybe it's just better just to stay silent. Well, I, I certainly understand that fear. I, I experience it myself. But what uh, what I think people need to remember is um, <clears throat> it's not it's not our smoothness that is the power in the message. It's it's the power of the truth of the gospel and the power of God's word. And so we can be tongue tied and and not clear and stumble on our words and have to say things like, gee, I don't know, I never thought about that, let me get back to you, and, and all of that uh, can be used by the Lord. So it's it's a shift in our thinking. Um, I, I think the phrase that I use a couple of times in the book is, um, um, my confidence is not in my confidence. Uh, so we need to shift away from, it's about me and my preparation, and it's it's more relying on the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit to draw people, the power of the truthfulness. Now, of course, I mean, we want to prepare as much as we can, and we want to know answers, and, you know, we want to do the very best to be ready, but we also need to hold that loosely and remember, well, they, they probably will ask some things that I won't know about, and, um, and and I think if you say to people, well, let me get back to you, that shows a kind of humility and a kind of concern for them that's, that's very powerful in and of itself. And Randy, when you talk about stories and you share some really great stories, I didn't get more than about 30 pages into the book, and I came across the story of Miles, who's a lacrosse player at a big university. Mm. And I found that fascinating, his, his, uh, what, he, what he learned in the course of two seminars or semesters, and he said he could summarize, you could summarize as this. And here they are. Christians are crazy. They don't have sex. And then a little bit later, maybe waiting until you get married to have sex isn't such a bad idea, but it's not possible. To, okay, I hate not having sex, but I think it's the right thing to do. To, I, I've got to think about something other than sex. 
<laughs> to I never knew Jesus said all those things to, oh, so that's why Christians make such a big deal about Easter. Uh, yeah, his was his was just you know one of these many interviews that I found to be so delightful and surprising and uh, unlikely. Um, I, I mean, I, I um, you know the whole the whole project began actually as a as a very academic thing, a doctoral dissertation, and I lined up forty interviews uh, for you know getting their stories and transcribing them and writing them down and then looking for patterns. Um, but it, it turned out to be such a beautiful and spiritually moving experience for me. That's why I said, oh, i gotta, I got to write this down in a book, not just a dissertation, uh, because the stories really were so uh, dramatic and unpredictable. And uh, so, yeah, his, his story was pretty powerful because he was, you know, he, would, he was this very successful uh, scholarship athlete at a really big school and you know, lots of women, lots of drinking, lots of partying, and uh, I mean, he he just thought Christians were idiots. Um, but something drew him in, and and for him, it was even even before he had become a Christian, he found himself defending the Christian faith to his teammates. And he, I mean, he would hear words come out of his mouth say, "Did I just say that? I can't believe it." <laughs> uh, so uh, <laughs> I just. That was, that was just one of many stories that made me laugh, made me just marvel. Mm-hmm. Of course, the uh, great Glenn, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross movie with uh, that, that scene with Alec Baldwin where he says, you know, ABC, always be closing. Is that the attitude we should be having with, in evangelism? Um, boy, uh, I, I don't think so. I hope this won't get me disconnected from the interview here. Um, <laughs> um Always be closing, didn't I? I think I talked about that in the book, didn't I? Uh, you did. You did talk I, um, about it in the book. There, there's a lot we can learn from the world of sales, um, but the gospel is not a product that we're selling. And so, um, uh, in sales, I think always be closing is probably a good idea. In evangelism, I think we need to watch and see how what rate the Holy Spirit is working in someone's life. Mm-hmm. So the the first full chapter of the book is. How that people come to faith gradually, incrementally, and uh, maybe that has not always been the case, but it certainly is now in our very, very secular postmodern world. It just takes people longer, and so I think we, um, I, I think we make a mistake if we assume what may have been a good assumption, I don't know, 50 years ago, that people are ready to become Christians. They just need to hear how. I, I don't think that's true anymore for a whole lot of people. Now, if the person we're talking to shows every indication that they're ready, well, then always be closing. Right. But, uh, right. Um, I just, I, I just, I just don't like that word always. I, I, there's too much, there's too many, div- there's too much diversity of, of people's experiences. And by the way, I got to quickly add this: um, Jesus didn't always close the deal. There were several conversations where people walked away. And he let them walk away, or he only delivered part of a message and let people chew on it. So uh, those are the examples we have in God's Word. So I think that that's uh, the model for us. Mm -hmm. You have some great uh, attitude adjustments, which I loved. And one was intentionally rely on the Holy Spirit. And the next one was really interesting. You said, acknowledge that we might accomplish more by attempting less. Do say more about that, because that's yeah. a little counterintuitive. 
counterintuitive, to say the least. I, I, I imagine some people will throw the book down when they read that line and say, what is this guy, crazy? Um, you know, there, we, there, there is an urgency uh, in proclaiming the gospel, and we always want to be aware of that. But, I, but the, the reality is some people make greater progress by hearing part of the message and chewing on it and thinking about it and making sure that they understand that before we move on. So uh, we, we want to keep the big picture of the whole project of what we're trying to communicate in the whole gospel. But, but in the long run, we may accomplish more by attempting less, or we may, we may help the person move along if we help them move um, uh, slowly at first. Um, you know, I mean, uh, uh, every illustration has got its problems, but, uh, but imagine you're trying to teach um, someone how to dance. Uh, well, uh, you, you probably want to slow things down at first before, until they get understand how the steps work before you start speeding up the music. And I, I just think for a lot of people today, some of the concepts that are such core things of our faith, like God is holy, well, that, that's a pretty alien concept for people. So maybe we need to spend some time explaining what we mean by those words before we jump to... Um, and because he's holy, uh, your sins are offensive, and he's going to punish your sins, but he also died to pay the price. I mean, there's a, there's a whole lot of that that I just think we might help people more by moving slowly. And here's a piece of advice from your book, uh, Randy, that I think will help people feel more comfortable, and that is this. Be willing to remain uncomfortable. <laughs> um uh, you know, I, I think you're drawing out all of these things that may drive your listeners crazy. I don't know. <laughs> no. Um, I, I think there is too much of an emphasis on our part of being comfortable in evangelism or evangelism without fear or without anxiety. Uh, I, I, I look at the way Paul said he wrote. He wrote to the Corinthians and he said, "When I was with you, I was with you with much fear and trembling." Um, so I, I think we need to give up um, – well, actually, it's stronger than that. We need to repent of our love of comfort and say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to be uncomfortable. May, may my standing in you be so strong that I, it's okay with being uncomfortable with this situation or with these people. And uh, I find that to be liberating, at least for me, of, oh, this is probably not going to be comfortable or easy okay, Lord, would you use me anyway? Right. So is it is it fair to say that if we even got a little bit more intentional in small talk, that could help us in evangelism? You know, if people say, if you say, nice to meet you, what do you do? And then if I were to say, you know, did you grow up in a, in a family that went to church or did, did, did you, do you have a religion you practice? That's a pretty fair question, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued with the phrase uh, small talk. I, I, I wonder why we would think of it as small talk. Well, as um, we're just trying to get conversations started. Yeah. So you start with small talk. How about that weather today? Um, <laughs> you know, and you're looking for little uh, entry points uh, to get a conversation started and try to build some rapport. Mm -hmm. So maybe a, a, a small talk question, part of that would be, yeah, I mean, it's not even a small question. Just, uh, you know, 
do you ever think about spiritual things? Yeah. Well, I have a whole section in the book there, I think. <laughs> I can't remember my own book. You do, because I, I read, about, I read um, that section. You know it better than I do, then, um, about conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm really intrigued about conversation. It's, it's a very, very powerful thing that we do. And uh, there are a whole lot of people writing entire books about conversation, the power of conversation, and, and, and how we in our culture today are starving for in-depth, meaningful personal conversation. We, we, have, we have a billion tiny 140-character tweet-level conversation. That's not conversation at all. It's, it's sort of like a transfer of, I don't know, data. But, but real conversation where people really listen to each other, where they explore things further, um, it's a way of, of loving people, I think. It's a way of serving people. Uh, and I, I love it. In some conversations, you know, you, you, you move along and you ask questions or whatever, and, and you help people think. And sometimes in a good conversation, someone might hear you ask a question and they'll say, I, I just love it when this happens. They go, ooh, I never thought about that before. Um, you know, I think you just helped me realize something. And then they remember something or they put two things together or they understand something for the first time. And, and, and that's what conversation can do. And uh, it, it's a dying art, but it's, um, it, it's not that hard for us to bring it back, I think, if we're intentional about it. Yeah, I agree. We're hungry for connection and conversation. Mm-hmm. I read, uh, the, I saw that 88% of people stare at screens while dining. That makes me sick. I read that at lunch today and almost wanted to throw up. I mean, what's wrong with people? Well, uh, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Now I'm, I'm stuck on your image of, <laughs> of wanting to throw up. That, I mean, if you have to choose between throwing up and staring at the screen, I think staring at the screen. Yeah, is you're better, right. But, you're right. You're right. But um, uh, I know there. Um, uh, well, I quote from Sherry Turkle's really great book, Reclaiming Conversation, and she does she's did, did a whole lot of research up at MIT about the effect of phones on conversation. And she's not she's not all negative, and she she calls her book Reclaiming Conversation because she thinks we really can reclaim it. Um, but she recommends that there are times when you have conversations or meals with people and you just make an agreement between the two of you or the four of you or however many hey this is going to be phone free time mm-hmm. and and you put the phones away they they've even found uh research that conversation is squelched and uh stymied even if someone's phone is just sitting out on the table even if it never rings mm-hmm. the visual fact that it's there in the peripheral vision um, just kind of thwarts people because they think, well, it, it may ring at any minute. I mean, the fact that it's there. Yeah. So if you keep it in your pocket or you turn it off or you, uh, you, know, you leave it out of the visual screen, it just allows for better conversation. Yeah, because if it's on the and, table, people think if it goes off, they're going to choose it over me. Yeah. And again, the, the, she's not negative about it, and I'm not all negative because um, phones are tremendously helpful and important. There's just times to put them away. Yeah. My guest is Randy Newman. He's written a book called Unlikely Converts, Improbable Stories of Faith and What They Teach Us About Evangelism. We are going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll, uh, we'll pick up right where we left off.
We're talking to Randy Newman. He's written several books. The one we're chatting about today is Unlikely Converts, Improbable Stories of Faith and What They Teach Us About Evangelism. Randy, I'd love for you to talk about the power of praying with non-believers. Um, do you mean, um, uh, so you're, you're, you're talking to them, you're conversing with them, and they raise an issue and you say, uh, I'm a person of faith, I'd like to pray about that, could I pray with you right now? Is that, is that what you're referring to? Yeah, I mean, you're in a discussion and they, they tell you some piece of news and, you know, I've got a, a horribly, you know, sick child and, and you say, oh my goodness, what is that child's name? Can I pray for them right now? I mean, doesn't doesn't that help move the needle almost more than some strong defensive case of apologetics I could be giving them? Yeah, I think so. Um, again, there's there's no you know one size fits all for every situation, but um, I think that's very very powerful. And in especially when people share with you very very difficult things, um, you know, there, we as believers take certain aspects about prayer for granted um, when when we we once were alienated from God, from God, once we get saved, we now have this access to him, and we take it for granted, but non-believers think it's absolutely astonishing. I mean, you could just talk to God in your own words. You didn't have to you didn't have to say that in Hebrew or Latin <laughs> or you didn't have to read a prescribed, you know, a pre-written mm-hmm. prayer. You did, you just spoke that in your own words and 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 so it's a thin line. You don't want to cross it on the side of, oh, I want to show off and let me show you off my, you know, how smooth I can be in prayer. Um, but there's there's power in that. And to be able to say to someone, can I just pray with you right now about whatever the topic is? And um, that may spark an interest on their part. I, so, I mean, that's a very big part of my testimony. When I first started hanging around Christians, I couldn't believe that they prayed the way they did. Um, it was just so it was it was like it's like they knew this God they were talking to, and they prayed <laughs> they prayed in English and they prayed about everything, and there was nothing that was off limits. And I just thought, what do they know about this God that I don't know? So that was a very important part of my. Uh, story of coming to faith. So yes, I think so. My my only hesitation is, again, I I, I don't want people to think, okay, that's the magic key. key. That's that's what you you always have to pray with people. Um, I don't think that's always the way to do it, but I think it's a it's a powerful piece of our message. Mm-hmm. Randy, is one of the the tried and true ways of sharing the gospel is to weave your own personal story through it, kind of let people know where you were at in life prior to coming to faith. And then uh, the circumstances that, you know, you sort of had your born-again experience and then how life is different after that? I think it's a great, great, important tool. In fact, I have a whole big, long section about how to go about telling our stories. Um, I I always cringe a little bit, though, when you say tried and true, because that sounds like it's always going to work. Mm -hmm. And there's there's not any always. But, uh, yes, I think... Well, the example that I look at in the in the book about when Paul shared his testimony in the, the latter parts of the book of Acts, he wove his story in with the doctrine of the gospel, and I, I think that's incredibly powerful. And uh, again, that's that's why I wanted to collect these stories. When people hear, you know, it, 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 we have the same gospel message that we're that every Christian tells, and yet. 
in every single story, there's different aspects of it that got emphasized or things, circumstances were different. And um, we love stories. We, mm-hmm. we, we just do. And, and I don't think that's, that's just some like trite little cultural thing. I think we are story creatures. We are, we are eternal beings, but we're living part of our story in time. And so that's why we love stories. That's why we read them. That's why we tell them. That's why we listen more closely when some speaker's going on and on and on about some point. He goes, you know, that reminds me of a story. All of a sudden we get, we sit to the edge of our seats. That's so true. So uh, many people have come to faith from a, a, a whole different wide range of starting points. Do you have a favorite story from the book you'd like to share? Mm. Oh, favorite. Uh, it depends on what time of day it is. Um, yeah. Uh, I think I think the story that I tell at the beginning of the book is probably my favorite, the one about Lawrence and the pigs. Um, it's this guy who um, he he was raised um, without very much religion at all or without going to church, but he was very very intelligent. And people Christians told him he should stop asking all his questions. He asked too many questions. If he just believed in Jesus as his Lord and Savior, it would solve all his problems and all his questions. And he just thought that was too simplistic and too stupid. And so he went to an event that was sponsored by a Christian group solely for the purpose of making fun of the speaker and giving Christians a hard time. (laughs) I love it. Uh, But that eventually became a weekly Bible study of the Gospel of Mark, and he started going every single week. And um, when he got to the story about Jesus casting the demons out of the man and into the pigs, when he told me his story, he, he, he... he, did, he started laughing. He goes, what's up with that? I just thought that was the craziest thing. What does Jesus have against pigs? Why did he have those pigs go over the cliff? And uh, I said, so did you ask the Bible study leader about that story? He goes, yeah. And I said, what did he say? He said, well, the first thing he said was, gee, I don't know. And I thought, oh, that's a bad start. And he said, no, it's a great start. It was really good. He wasn't a wise guy, know-it-all, and that was really good. And then the next thing he said is, well, we should – uh, we probably shouldn't mess around with the demons. It sure seems like they're real. Jesus certainly thought they were real. And there must be something really big, uh, a difference between being a pig and being a person. And I said, ooh, that's, I said, did that solve the problem for you? Would that answer the question? He goes, yeah, it was good enough, but here, here's the thing. He took my question seriously. And so I figured, oh, so maybe there are answers to all of my questions. Maybe it's not a stupid person's religion. And and then I said to him, so did you, did you have like a whole ton of more questions that you had to ask? He goes, not really. It was like once I saw, oh, there probably are answers, then I, I didn't necessarily have to get all of my answers right away. It just changed my perspective that, that this isn't a religion for stupid people. It's, it's a religion that's got answers. That's such a um, great story. And then, and then I come back to that story at the very end of the book, and I won't, I won't spoil that now. I mean, but um, it's just a beautiful, beautiful story of how uh, the Lord worked in this guy's life. Mm. And you did mention too. We just have about a minute and a half left, Randy. That we're in a, we live in a kindness-starved world. Mm. So being kind and having conversation can be a make a big difference in someone's life. Boy, can it. And uh, it's hard to believe that things have gotten worse since I wrote that sentence in a kindless, starved world. But um, 
That's so true. I, I, you know, I think if we can disagree with people graciously and gently and say that we respect them, even if we disagree with them, they, they, they won't have a category for that. And they'll want to know, where, where does this kindness come from? And that's what I want. I want to point it to the greatest act, to the greatest display of kindness, God's kindness to us in the gospel. Mm-hmm. Randy, you delivered just like I knew you would. Well, uh, well, thank you. Yeah, I, 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 mean, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I, I just, uh, I would love to have you on the show more often. So, thank you so much for uh, your time today, and thank you for uh, the book "Unlikely Converts: Improbable Stories of Faith and What They Teach Us About Evangelism." Randy Newman's been my guest. Thanks again, Randy. Thank you. I'll be glad to come back whenever you'd like. Terrific. Thank you so much. Okay. If you missed uh, any of today's show, uh, you can go to myfaithradio.com. Go to the Afternoons with Bill show page, and you can. You can hear this from the beginning. If you just climbed in your into your car, you had a good day at work, now you're headed home and you only caught half of the interview with Randy, uh, I really, really recommend going back and hearing it from the beginning. It's been great. It's been great uh, spending this time with you today. I look forward to uh, tomorrow as well. Uh, we're going to have uh, Paul Carden on and then also uh, the uh, amazing and beautiful Queens of the Roundtable will be joining me. So as you lay your head on the pillow tonight, know that God's working out his great plan in your life. Have a great night, and I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.